0: I wish to address today a very difficult topic. It's the topic of the continuing sacrifice of the Mass. This was so painful to me as a former priest that it took over two years after leaving the Catholic priesthood before I could really address it after I had left the Catholic Church in the first two years and I was in Atlanta, some people would say to me, well, what do you think of the sacrifice of the Mass? And I would say it's like, that's like a razor blade cutting across the pupil of my eye. I said, please don't talk about that. I know that it is not right. I know that Christ died once and for all, but It's very painful because for 48 years I was a Catholic and 22 as a priest and my whole life was into offering myself with Christ's sacrifice and you who were not Catholics have no idea just what this means. So I would really like to empathize with a Catholic person who is seeking to know just what the sacrifice of Christ is and what it was. And please understand that I can feel any pain that you might be feeling as we discuss this topic because it is quite difficult for a Catholic person to face the topic of the Mass. In this presentation, I'm only going to deal with one aspect of the Mass, and that is the idea that it is a continuing sacrifice. Another very essential part of the Mass that I will not be dealing with, and I'll deal with in a further presentation, is the idea that Jesus is physically contained in the bread, that Christ Jesus is physically in the bread, body, soul, and divinity, and the teaching behind that of transubstantiation, and that is a a whole presentation in itself. What I am dealing with in this presentation is solely the concept that the Catholic Church has that Christ is offered, that it's the same victim, they say, that was on the cross that is now being offered. I would like to begin for those who really do not know Catholic teaching by reading from a famous Catholic author, John O'Brien, in this book, Faith of Millions. He speaks very clearly of what the Catholic doctrine is. The book has received an imprimatur, and the Obstadt that is the authority of the Catholic Church, is behind this book. It has received full approval of the Catholic Church. So we're not just talking about a Catholic priest writing, but a book that is very well known in the Catholic world and it has received full approval from the Catholic Church. He is talking about the power that the Catholic Church claims for its priests to bring Christ down from a throne in heaven, to be a victim on the Catholic, on the pap. read from the exact words of this Catholic author, John O'Brien. Quotation, when the priest pronounces the tremendous words of consecration, he reaches up into heaven brings Christ down from his throne and places him upon our altar to be offered up again as the victim for the sins of man. It is a greater power than that of monarchs and emperors. It is greater than of saints and angels, greater than that of seraphim and cherubim. Indeed, it is greater even than the power of the Virgin Mary. While the Virgin Mary was the human agency by which Christ became incarnate a single time, The priest brings Christ down from heaven and renders him present on our altar as the eternal victim for the sins of man not once, but a thousand times. The priest speaks, and lo, Christ, the eternal, omnipotent God, bows his head in humble obedience to the priest's command. Of what sublime dignity is the office of the Christian priest, who is thus privileged to act as ambassador and vice-regent of Christ on earth. He continues the ascension ministry of Christ. He teaches the faithful with the authority of Christ, He pardons the penitent sinner with the power of Christ. He offers up again the same sacrifice of adoration and atonement which Christ offered on Calvary. No wonder that the name which spiritual writers are especially fond of apply to the priest is that of Alter Christus. For the priest is... And should be another Christ. It is hard to believe that anybody would speak of the omnipotent God bowing his head in humble obedience for the word of a man to come down to be a victim on an altar. But this is the teaching that the Catholic Church upholds. And he Finishes by saying the priest is another Christ. It is strange that he says that because Christ Jesus very clearly tells us in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24 and verse 24, that there would be some coming to claim that there were other Christs, and he tells us not to listen to them. So, this is what the Catholic Church teaches, and I think it's Good to read it in such a, an account where it is stated explicitly and in very ordinary language what the Catholic Church holds. Now, many of us who were priests held this until we began to read in the Bible and see that what we were doing was not, in actual fact, true. I have compiled a book of 50 former priests, and you'll see if you read their testimonies that many of them declare that they began to see that the sacrifice was not a continuing sacrifice as it was once offered. A sample of that from the book that I've compiled is the testimony of Alexander Carson, and I'd like to read from this book what he said. How he discovered that the sacrifice was not continuing. Quotation from Alexander Carson. On Sunday night in July 1972, I began to read the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. This letter Jesus, his priesthood, and his sacrifice over all the Old Covenant or Testament. This is some of what I read. Who needed not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people's. For he did for he did this once when he offered up himself. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 27. This startled me and I began to feel very uneasy. I understood for the first time that Jesus' sacrifice was a one-time sacrificial offering at Calvary. And it is effectual to reconcile me to God and believing repentance all of the ages. I saw this that the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass offered by me and thousands of other Catholic priests daily throughout the world was a fallacy and completely irrelevant. If the sacrifice I daily offered as a priest was meaningless, then my priesthood, which existed for the purpose of offering that sacrifice, was likewise meaningless. Alexander Carson, the name of his testimony, free indeed. He is now a wonderful missionary in, for the gospel and he's serving in Eastern Europe, proclaiming the gospel to this day, Alexander Carson. One of many, many priests and there is very many more than those in the book. I still get emails and testimonies from priests and I thank God from different parts of the world and one of the things that God opens their eyes on is the fact that they are offering a sacrifice that takes from the perfect sacrifice of Christ Jesus. And I think that we've got to see the perfect sacrifice of Christ Jesus before we go on to do a detailed study of the official word of the Catholic Church. We should say, what does the Bible say? What is the teaching of the word of God itself in the Bible. What does the scripture say about Christ's sacrifice? And I think that we should look at the perfection of Christ's sacrifice. Why was Christ Jesus' sacrifice perfect? Because he was the God-man. He was the one who only could offer it. Because he was the only God-man capable of doing this sacrifice. Holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. The Bible declares who he was. And he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. So the perfection of the sacrifice begins with the perfection of the person who offered this one sacrifice the Bible tells us the words from the Old Testament that apply to Christ Jesus, where it says, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. Christ came to fulfill the will of the Father. The one sacrifice was the purpose of the Eternal Father. He was the one who was offended, and he was the one to whom The sacrifice was to appease, to offer propitiation once and for all. So it's the purpose of the Father that there should be one sacrifice for sin. And this is spelled out in the Bible by the Holy Spirit in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 10. By which will is the will of the Father that Christ should suffer, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. The Father will this. So we're talking about the purpose of the Father that becomes the purpose of Christ Jesus to take the place of sinners who would believe in Him. So it's the Father's purpose and it is the Son's purpose to fulfill what the Father had decreed. After Him, Jesus Christ, being delivered by the determinant counsel and foreknowledge of God. This is what God had devised. And it was the perfect sacrifice. So the one offering was willed by the Father and it was put into effect by the Son and it is absolutely perfect the bible contrasts it to the many old testament sacrifices it was one in contrast to the levitical priesthood that continued to offer sacrifice and so it says in hebrews chapter 10 verses 11 and 12 every priest stands daily ministering and offering oft times the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. So what does the Holy Spirit show us? It shows us one in contrast to many. So it is explicitly clear that The Old Testament sacrifices were imperfect because they were repeated. But this is one sacrifice and that it is perfect. Christ Jesus, by his perfect sacrifice, takes away the guilt. It takes away more than the guilt. It takes away the power of sin and the punishment of sin. And so it says of his sacrifice that... And their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no more offering for sin. Because of the one sacrifice in place of the believers, there is no more offering. The offering is finished. The Bible is explicit that the offering is finished. And it is the offering that was made by the perfect by the perfect God-man at the will of the Father. And so it says, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come to God by him, seeing that he ever liveth to make intercession for them. He saved to the uttermost. When you're saved, you're perfectly saved by the one sacrifice. And that is the glory and praise that we give to him. Now this is in stark contrast and I know it's painful and I ask the viewer to bear with me because I can understand the pain. I think back of my own days as a priest. I remember well that I would look down on the bread and wine which we said were the body of Christ and uh, I would say these words when I said Mass using the Third Eucharistic prayer, I would say, look with favor on your church's offering and see the victim whose death has reconciled us with yourself. I'd ask the Father in Heaven, as I'd spread out my hands, to accept this sacred victim, pointing down to the bread and wine, that the Father in Heaven was to accept a victim on this altar. Now, that is really ghastly, because Christ Jesus never was a victim, even on the cross. He freely offered himself. And to think that he is a victim today, in any city, on any altar, is a most demeaning attribute to attribute to he who is now seated at the right hand of the Father on High. It is an abomination to who he is as seated all glorious and victorious. But that's what the Catholic Church said and that's what I myself said. And so I can understand that it is painful for a Catholic person dealing with this. Now to get to the official words. I'm reading from Vatican II documents. the The document is Eucharisticum Mysterium, and it's section 3, quotation. For in the sacrifice of the Mass, our Lord is immolated. When he begins to be present sacramentally as spiritual food, faithful under the appearances of bread and wine. It was for this purpose that Christ entrusted this sacrifice to the Church. For the purpose of being immolated. You can check in any dictionary what does immolate mean. It means to kill or sacrifice. And it doesn't say was immolated, is immolated, present tense. They say that Christ is immolated. He is sacrificed in the Mass. And that is the teaching, the official teaching of the Catholic Church. Now, it's so serious that the Catholic Church puts a curse on anyone who says that Christ's sacrifice was once and that it is in the Lord's table that you only have a memorial or a thanksgiving or a praise. And anyone who does not hold that the Mass is a propitiatory sacrifice, that it is now appeasing the Father in Heaven. And I'd like to read the official words. This is from the Council of Trent. These are the official words of the Catholic Church. If anyone says that the sacrifice of the Mass is only of praise and thanksgiving, or that it is a mere memorial... Of the sacrifice consummated on the cross. But not a propitiatory one. Or that it profits him only who receives. And ought not to be offered for the living and the dead. For sins, punishments, satisfactions and other necessities. Let him be anathema. That is eternally damned or cursed. And so the Catholic Church holds that. It has and the here on their altars, a victim, and the victim is a propitiatory, that it is appeasing the Father at the present day. And this is really serious. If you take your Bible and you're trying to see just what, what did Christ Jesus say, and many of you would know these words without even looking them up. What did Christ Jesus say to the apostles? He said, take and eat. They are simple words. What do they mean? They mean, take and eat. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. What does that mean? It means, in remembrance of me. Now, that seems to be so simple, but it's, um, a lot of people don't see what is simple. He did not say Offer and propitiate. He was not making a sacrifice that was continuing. He did not say offer and propitiate. He quite easily and simply said, take and eat. And that's what believers do when they come together for the Lord's table. They take and eat in memorial or in remembrance of him. And so In face of all of these teachings, we just go back to the clear teaching of Christ Jesus. Take and eat, which means take and eat. And not offer and propitiate. And so the Catholic Church does not accept this, but goes on to continue to say offer and propitiate. And they go further with their teaching. They declare that people are to offer themselves with the sacred victim. It's not simply that you have on the altar a victim, they say, but the people who come to Mass are supposed to offer their lives with the victim. Now, this is particularly important for American Catholics. Lots of American Catholics do not understand Catholicism and they have not lived the teaching like we did in Ireland, Poland or Croatia you know or the Latinos in South America. There's Latinos going up the church on their knees and then offering their sufferings with Christ in the Mass and some Latinos having themselves flagellated and even in the Philippines men having themselves crucified you know the the Filipinos like the Latinos often have lived Catholicism and when they come to Mass they're offering their sufferings, and they really are conscious of the teachings of the Catholic Church. Many of the Americans are not big into suffering or offering their sufferings, so they are not very conscious, and often the priests don't teach them these uh, these, um, these things up from the Vatican II documents. So uh, with American Catholics, we often have to teach Catholicism, so... I think this is important because some American Catholics don't understand their own teachings. So I'm reading now from the Vatican II documents, and it is Eucharisticum Mysterium, section 3, the same section again. Quotation, consequently the Eucharistic sacrifice is the source and summit of the whole Catholic worship and the Christian life. The faithful participate more fully in this sacrament of thanksgiving, propitiation, petition and praise not only when they wholeheartedly offer the sacred victim and in it themselves to the Father but also when they receive the victim sacramentally. So the Catholic is taught to offer themselves with the sacred victim and then to receive the sacred victim in the same Mass. Now, this idea, again, of Christ being the victim, what does Christ Jesus himself say in John's Gospel? I lay down my life of my own accord. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it up again. He freely did the Father's will. He never was a victim. On the cross, he freely gave his life and at the end said it is finished. He freely gave his life for his own, for those who would believe on him. So the idea of being victimized is not in the pages of scripture, but it is very obvious in Catholic teaching. And they say in the official Uh, doctrine of the Catholic Church again Vatican II documents and this one is called Presbyterorum Ordinis and it is section 5 and I'd like to quote word for word therefore the Eucharistic celebration is the center of the assembly of the faithful over which the priest presides hence priests teach the faithful to offer the divine victim Jesus Christ to the Father in the sacrifice of the mass and with the victim to make an offering of their whole life. With the victim you offer your whole life. I remember as a student for the priesthood where I used to beat myself at one stage and uh, so I could feel pain where I would take cold showers in the dead of winter, walk with stones in my shoes and do other sacrifices I was offering my pain with the victim on the altar. And that's what people who really study Catholicism really are supposed to do. That's what the priest is supposed to tell his congregation, what this quotation here says, that they are to offer themselves with the victim. So this idea... It is also spelled out in the same catechism as the mother suffering or the woman suffering. And I'd like to read from the same catechism, the catechism of the Catholic Church, not from the documents. I'm sorry, this is a different book. The catechism of the Catholic Church, 1368, where the same idea is put in different words. The Eucharist is also the sacrifice of the Church. The church, which is the body of Christ, participates in the offering of her head. With him, she herself is offered whole and entire. So the man Christ Jesus, who is also God, the man Christ Jesus has also the woman offering herself with him in the Catholic Church, the woman signifies the Church because the members of the Church are supposed to offer their sufferings with him as a victim in the Mass. Now, this is portrayed in some of the Latino countries, in Poland, where I was last year, and in some other traditional Catholic countries. I have not known of it here in the in the United States, but if you go to say Guatemala and you go to the main cathedral you will see Christ offering himself on the cross and on the reverse side of the cross you will see that there is a woman hanging on the cross and that is to depict the suffering mother church offering herself with him. That is a depiction in art of the woman being offered with the man. Now, whether or not you have the artwork going with it, the concept is clearly in the Catechism of the woman offering herself. With him, she is offered whole and entire. So the idea of a woman offered with the man is totally a surprise, even to some Catholics that do not know their doctrine because The scripture says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, when he had by himself purged our sins. And the scripture is quite clear. Not of works of righteousness as we have done, but by his mercy he saved us. And we're told in Hebrews that it was one sacrifice. And then Paul says in Ephesians, by grace are ye saved Through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the grace of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Again and again, the scripture tells us it was his work, not ours. It is not ours, lest anyone boast. And how could anybody dare join their offering with the perfect offering, because that would imply imperfection, that Christ needed somehow to have something going along with his offering. How could anybody dare, even consider, to make his offering better? The perfect man. how could anybody dare to offer themselves? But this is what the Catholic Church does and it is quite sad because uh, my heart goes out to Catholics because I did this for most of my life. For 22 years as a priest and I was 48 years altogether as a Catholic. Now it goes even further the Catholic Church makes a solemn declaration in the Catechism in paragraph 1360 7 that the sacrifice of the mass is one single sacrifice with Calvary. They're claiming an identity between Calvary and what happens in your city on the altar of your church. And so let me read the exact words from the Catechism. 1367. The sacrifice of Christ and the sacrifice of the Eucharist are one single sacrifice. The victim is one and the same. The same now offers through the ministry of the priests who offered himself on the cross. Only the manner of offering is different. This divine sacrifice which is celebrated in the Mass The same Christ who offered himself once in a bloody manner on the altar of the cross is contained and is offered in a non-bloody manner. They say that Christ is offered, present tense. And they say that it is in a non-bloody manner. Now, how anybody could dare even conceive of this is is so hard to imagine. Why is that? Because the perfection of who Christ Jesus was, what does it say in the same book of Hebrews, where it's declaring his one sacrifice, one suffered? It says that he was holy, harmless, undefiled, Separate from sinners. Higher than the heavens. That was Christ Jesus' qualifications. And to offer his one perfect sacrifice. But they're claiming that it is again he is offered. How dare anybody again. How arrogant is anybody to think that they could offer up Christ Jesus. Who would dare think he was in any way fit or right to offer the offering of Christ? It is, it is quite unthinkable when you know the scriptures of the perfection of Christ Jesus, his offices, and the fact that it is said again and again that it was one sacrifice once offered. But that's what Christ Jesus, that's what Christ Jesus did. He had the perfect sacrifice once offered, and the Catholic Church says, no, he is offered. The scriptures are totally contrary to this, and they say exactly the opposite. They say that he is not many times offered. They say, and I'm reading now from the book of Hebrews, chapter 9:26 and verse 25, the words of the Scripture. Quotation, Nor yet that he should offer himself often, for then he must have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once, at the end of the world, hath appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. The word once, he offered himself Once. Now the Catholic Church says that the sacrifice on their altars is a non-bloody sacrifice. Can you have a sacrifice that is unbloody? In the Bible, the whole meaning of sacrifice is that there is blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no redemption. That is the Bible principle. So how can somebody claim a non-bloody sacrifice? That is a contradiction in terms, an oxymoron. It contradicts what it is saying. It can serve of no other purpose than to deceive. There's no such thing in biblical terms as a non-bloody sacrifice. His sacrifice on the cross was a bloody sacrifice. He shed his blood for the redemption of believers who would believe in him being justified freely by his blood through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, the Apostle Paul proclaimed as a finished work. But the Catholic Church has this terminology unknown to the Bible and it only serves to deceive precious men and women. The unique perfection. Of Christ's sacrifice is highlighted by the Holy Spirit. It's like the Holy Spirit was intent that mankind could never err in this matter. Why? The Holy Spirit uses the word once seven times in the New Testament regarding the one sacrifice. The word once is offered, is, is given Seven times. I'd like to give you some examples of this. The Apostle Paul teaches in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. The Apostle Peter declares, for Christ also hath once suffered for the sins. The just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. And the same truth is found in the book of Hebrews five times. And the conclusion is this verse from Hebrews. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him he shall appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So the Holy Spirit is explicitly clear That the one sacrifice was once offered. And to, as if it were, confirm it all and to make it so clear that we could not deny the truth of Scripture. What did Christ Jesus himself say on the cross? He said, it is finished. His work was legally finished. He had accomplished what the Father had sent him to do what does that mean? It means terminated, complete. And then the scripture says, he was seated at the majesty and high, and as seated, it means that he is no longer offering. So Christ Jesus himself said it is finished. And that is the amazing truth that the Bible is so clear because it is so important. It is the majesty, the dignity of Christ. It is his perfect sacrifice and it is done in remembrance of him. So I'd like to come back to those words of Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus declared, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. Do you Uh, this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. In remembrance of me. Now that word remembrance is rich in significance. It is profound. Remembrance means affectionate calling to mind of who Christ is. There is At the Lord's table in Bible-believing churches, an affectionate calling to mind of the spiritual presence of the Lord. In reading about the Bible-believing churches here in the United States as it began and different Baptist churches and other Bible-believing churches, it is beautiful to see the writings of the early believers and their bringing to mind the words of Scripture and how they celebrated the Lord's table with a profound awareness of the spiritual presence of the Lord in this affectionate calling to mind. And I would to God that in all our Bible-believing churches at the Lord's table, we really had this rich significance of what remembrance is. It is not something that we go through in any way in a haste or without sublime reverence that we have a spiritual remembrance of the Lord and as it were a spiritual presence of him in our midst because he declared that this is the New Testament in my blood and the, the Bible says he did it under oath Now this means it is utterly serious we have love and marriage under oath of marriage, vows, or covenant to make it sacred. Even in the ordinary financial world, you have a title deed to your house or a title deed to your car. It is a solemn legal agreement. And when Christ Jesus said, this is the, the blood of the new covenant, It is as a legal declaration that believers belong to him. And that they are to meet together in his name to have remembrance of him. So we do it with profound, profound reverence. As it says in the scripture, we do it, we do not do it unworthily. We do it in a worthy manner to recognize The body and blood of the Lord, that is in a spiritual way to recognize the one sacrifice once offered and to recognize its power, that that is what redeemed us in the past. We look back to that, that's what redeemed us. And we are to show forth the death of the Lord till he comes. So after the Lord's table, we're meant to go out into the world and show forth that we are people redeemed that we live a holy life unto the Lord, that we have been with the Lord at the Lord's table as we have remembered him. And this is a profound reality. And I would to God that we had the reverence here in the United States that we see in the early believers who came to this nation. And I think if we are to have true revival, we've got to get back to the scriptures And what the word remembrance means. It is a profound reality of the spiritual presence of the Lord in our midst. And I think it is wonderful when we pray, we have a time of spiritual communion with the Lord at the Lord's table as true believers. At that time, when we take the elements, the bread and wine in remembrance of him, and that we remember the Lord in our midst. And to see how the Lord answers prayer when we are aware of His one sacrifice once offered. But that was the price. It is a perfect legal agreement by which we are redeemed. And we remember that. And we see that we come forth to show forth the Lord until He comes. And so the, the beauty of what it is truly to have the Lord's table. That we are remembering the Lord until he comes. This is the, the wonder of what the Lord has done for us. This cup is the New Testament in my blood. Do this, do ye, as as you drink it in remembrance from me. Of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you show forth the Lord's death until he comes. As often as we eat this bread, and it is bread signifying the body of Christ and wine signifying his blood but we show forth the death of Christ once offered. Now we come to the closing conclusion of the difficult presentation and uh, I really ask that we call to mind some of the teachings of the Catholic Church that we read earlier on how in face of the clarity of Christ's words, remembrance, that we are to take and eat how we read the words of John O'Brien that Christ is taken down from his throne in heaven and put on the altar as a victim. And the words of the Catholic Church saying that he is a sacred victim and that we are to offer ourselves with the sacred victim. How more could you insult the Lord? You know, people talk about things that we might say that might expose or give a wrong way of people have a lesser idea of a church because of what we say, but this is not a lesser idea of a church. How can anybody debase, depromote, and really offer an insult to Christ by saying that he is offered in their ceremony. How could you more ridicule the finished work of Christ by saying that your priests again offer him on your altars? And so we're talking about the, the most profound reality that ever was. The perfect offering of the God-man that the Father had decreed from eternity that the Son put into effect once on the cross, that he declared was finished. For somebody to come along and say that they are again offering that is an abomination before God. And we cannot put it too strongly because we're talking about the greatest, holiest, most perfect deed, that was ever done on earth. And woe to us if we do not have a profound reverence and awe for what Christ has done. And woe to us if we are not conscious of the dignity of his person and the dignity of his perfect, once offered sacrifice. So, it is with this in my mind that I really address the precious Catholic viewer to say, where do you stand before the All-Holy God? Because it was Christ Jesus thinking of his one perfect sacrifice that was to come. It was Christ Jesus who drew the imagery of his death as being lifted up when he said, and it is recorded in John's Gospel, chapter 3. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but should have everlasting life. Do you desire everlasting life? Well, then you look to the one offering once offered, the one sacrifice Once offered, you look to that. That is Christ Jesus lifted up. You look to Him, and as you look to Him, once sacrifice, and you trust that one sacrifice to be the redemption for your sin nature and your personal sin. Then there is redemption, and so. It is of uttermost importance that you see the Son of Man, the new Adam, the one who took the place or substituted for the believer. He lived a perfect life. He fulfilled all righteousness. He fulfilled the perfection of the law. Everything that he did was substitution. His perfect life. But in a special way, this one sacrifice once offered. This was the culminating obedience. He was obedient even unto death. He emptied himself unto the sacrifice of the cross. Now, can you remember that one sacrifice and say, There, there is my substitute. There is the one who died for my sins. There is the one sacrifice that takes away my sin and my sin nature. So that I made a new creature in him and that can have everlasting life. This is the message for you. So we come to the end of a very serious topic and that has been quite painful to share with you but quite necessary and we come to the culminating fact that the new Adam the Messiah the Son of Man has died for his own I lay down my life for my sheep now how can you be sure that you are one of his sheep It is to recognize that you're a sinner and that you need the redemption. You need the payment. To pray something like this, Father in heaven, I recognize I'm a sinner. I realize I'm dead in trespasses and sins. But I realize that there is one who died in my place. I accept Christ Jesus' sacrifice for my personal sin. Father, Give me the gift of faith to trust that and that alone, and to know the joy of what it is to be accepted in him now and forevermore. A prayer like that is a prayer of true faith in the one sacrifice. And then you experience the everlasting life. As Christ Jesus said, this is life everlasting To know thee, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. And it is not only to know Christ Jesus now, but it is to know him for all eternity and the Father for eternity. When we will not be meeting just at the Lord's table to remember what he did, but we will be with him in the new Jerusalem, like the Apostle John said, that we shall see him as he is and the glory of what it is that we know that we will see him who offered himself once. This is the message. How serious is it? It is of utmost serious consequences. Christ Jesus said, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Now, it is hard to say those words because they are really frightening. You may say, well, I'll leave it to another day. I'll leave it to sometime else, and uh, this is a little bit too heavy. Uh, I'll leave this to some other time before I will submit in faith. Christ Jesus says, the wrath of God abides on one who rejects. It is not that we are in a neutral position, but in the words of Scripture, we're all dead in trespasses and sins. And that without Christ, we are under the wrath of God. So we're not in a neutral position. And the Scripture says, this is the day of the Lord, so we trust him. So, I thank God that you will indeed trust Christ Jesus and that you will submit to him and that you will know the glory of what it is to be gloriously saved because he saves to the uttermost. I thank you for viewing this program. Love to hear from you. Most of all, I would love that you rest on him in his one sacrifice and that you give him glory, praise, worship, and honor, now and forevermore. Amen and amen. Praise God.
1: Thank you for listening. If the Lord touches you, we'd love to hear from you. Visit our website at www.bereanbeacon.org. That's Beacon.org. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books.